I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to Galatians chapter 6. the last chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians and last week as he began it we saw that he described the realities that we're often confronted with by saying that we all live in this present evil age and for Paul he wasn't describing one specific thing that happened or one headline that he read but for him it was a way of describing the reality that all of us are no longer living in what was originally the Garden of Eden where there was no sin or pain or suffering and, and none of us are yet living in the reality of the promised future heaven that God has offered to all those who come to him through his son Jesus. And so we're living still in this world and it's a world where we regularly pray, your kingdom come and your will be done here as it is in heaven. Because in this place, so often things are happening that we believe are not a part of his will, are not a part of his design, and are not the way that they are supposed to be. And in this present evil age, he expressed a blessing to the church in Galatians that they would know the grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he told his own story, reminded them of how his life turned around. And it was an example of hope for, that we need in our own lives to hear regularly that in spite of all of the brokenness and in spite of all of the tragedy, it is possible for us to be humbled by those experiences, to be broken, and then to desire to change from them and to become better than we were before. This is now how he concludes the letter. Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing he deceives himself but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each will have to bear his own load let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches do not be deceived God is not mocked for whatever one sows that will he also reap for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have your, you circumcised that you may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. 
From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. And that'll conclude our reading for this morning. Here, at the very beginning of this chapter, Paul, it's hard for us, not having lived in his uh, time period, to sort of realize how radical it is uh, because we've heard something similar to this and, and we know it to be true for a long time because we've been influenced by the message of the New Testament in ways that we might not even be fully aware of. But for Paul to finish his letter by inviting those who are uh, strong, that those who are spiritual, that those who have the capacity to bear burdens, to come alongside and help those who are weak and who are in need and who are struggling is in his first century context sort of flipping things upside down. People acquired slaves and servants so that they could carry the burdens for them so that they could be burden free. And the good life was to have as few burdens as possible or to have as many other people carry your burdens for you so that you didn't have to carry them yourself. And so for Paul, in wrapping up his letter to this church to say, actually, one of the ways the gospel should affect us is that we willingly come alongside and help bear the burdens of other people. We don't look at someone who is weak and struggling and say, oh, there's a situation that I can take advantage of or there's something that I can manipulate. That there is actually an obligation on those who are strong, those who are mature or spiritual, to then care for those who are weak and those who are hurting and to be willing to sort of inconvenience ourselves to help other people. I think most of us have heard stories along those lines that do elevate that, that that doesn't sound like the most radical idea to us. It, it's, it's really hard to do, <laughs> uh, but we might be familiar with it. But this is not a very familiar message in Paul's day as he is writing this. And so one of the, the spirit behind what he's saying in these first few verses about the obligation of the church and those who are healthy and strong within it to restore those in a spirit of gentleness is that if the gospel has really uh, found a home in our hearts, then we know the joy of restoration. And that's the first point. Uh, we would enter into this posture with other people if we know and believe that there is joy in restoration. And Paul knows that that joy is in the heart of God himself. That as he was instructed in the ways of Jesus, though he wouldn't have been one of the disciples there when Jesus told a series of three consecutive stories in the Gospel of Luke, surely he heard about them. When Jesus, to help people know what God the Father was really like, said, imagine a shepherd having a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost. Don't you know that the shepherd would go and seek and find the one that's lost? And that there would be joy in that finding. Or imagine somebody that lost a bunch of coins, or lost a coin and had a bunch. Uh, wouldn't you, if you lost a $100 bill, start looking under the couch cushions and doing whatever you can to say, I want to find that thing that I lost. And then Jesus goes on to tell a story of a 
relationship that's lost, of a person who's gone away, who's wandered far from home, who's taken all of the inheritance that his father was going to give him and is gone. And then he wastes it very, very quickly. And we might lean into that story and say, oh, this guy's really going to get it when his dad finds out what he did. <laughs> Not only did he insult him by taking all the inheritance, then he wasted all the inheritance. And then, like, you could start to read into the story and say, man, judgment is coming. Punishment is around the corner, except as Jesus tells the story, when the father sees the son coming from afar away, it says he rejoices that there's a joy in the father at the return of a son coming to him. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, we discovered on our recent uh, road trip as a family, we had an album uh, of, of songs that we just hadn't listened to for a while, and we popped it back in, and one of the songs was telling those three stories, uh, now putting it in a narrative form, but it took it in the form of a, a Q&A. And so the song is Go Get the Lost One. And uh, so part of why I was able to walk through these stories is because I've been singing this song again and again in my car. And there's something powerful, though, about singing this song. But it says, Say you had a hundred sheep and one little lamb got lost in the dark, in the cold, far away from the fold. What would you do? What would you do? You'd say, Go get the lost one and leave the 99 the little lamb is lost and that little lamb is mine. Bring it home on your shoulders and call up all your friends. Rejoice with me, I've got my little lamb again. Say you had 10 silver coins and one silver coin got lost. Your treasure, your wealth, in the cracks, in the filth. What would you do? What would you do? You'd say, go get the lost one and turn the house upside down. That silver coin was lost and that silver coin is found. Light the lamp, sweep the ground, then call up all your friends. Rejoice with me. I've got my silver coin again. If God had a child who wandered far away, who was sad, brokenhearted, whose guilt kept him away, what would he do? What would he do? He'd say, go get the lost one. He's who I came to see. He thought he was an orphan, but he's coming home with me. The angels are rejoicing. The sinner is my friend. Rejoice with me. My child is coming home again. That is the good news of the gospel. And if that good news has transformed our hearts, then to hear one of the leaders in the church, in the Apostle Paul, say to us, brothers and sisters, if any of you now see someone lost, if any of you see someone who's gone astray and they've been caught and they're ensnared, they're stuck in a transgression, in a spirit of gentleness, restore them. Bring them back. Be a part of the extension of the joy of God in bringing those home who have strayed. Because one of the realities of sin in our own lives is whenever we do feel guilt and shame from sin, in that guilt and shame, we tell ourselves we're unworthy and that God wants nothing anymore to do with us. And one of the repeated messages in the New Testament is that though sin makes us lost, 
it never changes God's heart toward us, that he loves the lost, that he cares for those who are hurting. And so though we're lost, it doesn't mean we're worthless. Though we've screwed up, it doesn't mean we're, quote, good for nothing. No, we maybe have made a mistake. We maybe have sinned. We've done things that we need to say we're sorry for. But we, all of that is still happening under the watchful eye of a loving Heavenly Father who would rejoice at our restoration, who would call up his friends and have a party to say, this broken relationship is now healed. This sinner who was going astray is now coming back home. And so as a community of believers who say that this is the message that we proclaim, are we looking for opportunities to extend this joy, to restore those who are lost? That the burden is on us who are healthy, who are mature, who still know what's right and wrong, to go and to seek and to pursue, to initiate restoration. A lot of times the temptation in our heart is, well, if you messed up, then it's on you to figure out how to fix it. Rather than to say, I, I don't know how this got messed up. But if this is not the way it should be, and we long for it to be better, then if I need to take the lead, I'll take the lead, and I'll say I'm sorry first. Or if I have nothing to say I'm sorry first, I'll just be the person who says, this isn't the way it should be. <laughs> this, this isn't what God desires for us and to long for restoration. Uh, with that also comes the need for correction. So with the joy of restoration is also the need for correction. And if you read through Paul's letters, sometimes you're struck by, how is this same person who said, restore them in a spirit of gentleness, the one who a few chapters earlier said, very strongly, if anybody comes preaching a message different than what I preached, let them be accursed. That's about as strong of language as you can get. I say, wait a minute, Paul, are you a gentle person or are you a firm person? <laughs> are you strong or are you kind? And a lot of times we put those as sort of either or categories rather than realizing that they both flow from the same heart. And so Paul does long to see the lost to be found. But therefore, he is incredibly firm with those who would then lead people astray. So anybody who wants to help the found to become lost, Paul is saying, I'm not going to be real gentle with you. I'm going to be very gentle with helping those who are lost to become found. But if what your desire is, is to help those who are found now become lost, you're going to hear a very different message from Paul. You're going to say, wow, that guy is strict and he's strong and he's saying I have no patience for this well that actually comes from the same heart <laughs> the one who longs for restoration of us with our heavenly father then takes very seriously anything that says you know what I know there's a hundred of us here and really it's not that big of a deal if I just go away because there's still 99 <laughs> or I know there's 10 coins here and so it doesn't really matter if I waste the one you'll still have nine no Paul's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 that, that is not acceptable. That is not what we would encourage anyone to do. Our taking seriously the joy of God's plan and purpose for us to be with him forever 
also makes us firm and strong. And so as you read through Galatians, uh, you read just as much uh, words of gentleness and kindness and love and also firmness, seriousness, sober warnings, saying, please don't do this. Uh, just like hopefully any healthy and mature parent would react differently than if their kids started playing with the knobs on the stove, which we have one of those stoves where all the knobs are on the front, so all of our kids can very quickly reach them. You know, they're not up on the back where you have to be a certain height to reach them. And you would say, well, I, you're not a very loving parent if you don't care whether your kids are playing with the knobs on the stove. And so, yes, you need to be firm when that's happening. You need to be serious. You need, there's times when you need to make them know this is not a joke. This is not a game. And you say, well, I, that's not very loving. No, it is the most loving thing you can do. <laughs> if you love them, you will be firm with them in some instances. And if you love them when you see that they don't even want to talk to you because they're so ashamed and they're so embarrassed over what's done, you will make sure that they know that you love them before they say anything. And you will get that it is part of expressing your love for them that's going to be necessary to open them up to tell you what really happened. Because in a sense of shame and guilt, there's going to be a resistance to not tell you what really happened or what they're really thinking. And on any given day, you'll have to do both of those things throughout the day. <laughs> you shift from one to the other. But hopefully they flow out of the same loving heart that in love there is joy over restoration and in love there is clarity and sobriety and firmness when the things that should be taken seriously need to be taken seriously. When the consequence for behavior needs to uh, be appropriate, that there is that need for correction. And all of this is then being shared by, yes, somebody who knows the gospel, but also by somebody who, uh, in the Apostle Paul, carries the marks of wisdom. And that's the last part. Uh, as he's wrapping it up, in verse 11, he says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Now, we're reading this in typed out font and doesn't get any bigger, and so it kind of throws us off. But in this original letter, if a scribe was helping him, uh, to compose it and he's saying I want to just make sure that they see that this is really from me even though I'm dictating it to you here's where I'm going to take over and they'll say okay this is really the Apostle Paul we don't know for sure you can look into it yourself and see a couple different theories of why Paul's saying he's writing with large letters but one of them is uh, reasonable to see that eventually there's frailty in his body he has been beaten up several times for the faith. He's gone in and out of prison for believing in Jesus and telling other people to believe in Jesus. Later down, that's what he says. Uh, verse 17, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. So did his hand shake when he was trying to write and therefore the bigger the letter, the more legible it could be? It could be something like that. We know he bore the marks on his body in his back and in other places where he would have been uh, beaten severely. 
and the accumulation of physical trauma to his body, plus getting older, plus sleeping on floors of prisons that didn't have a comfortable mattress, all of that accumulates as eventually physical markers that makes it pretty reasonable to think he's writing larger <laughs> uh, to be able to see what he's writing. Because if it's too small, I don't know how much he can read it even if he's writing his own name. And so this is somebody who is commending these things to the church in Galatia and to all of us as somebody who has over time seen the, the outworking of this. And so as he's inviting other people to enter into bearing the burdens of people, to come alongside them in their weakness, he knows there's a cost to that. He knows there might be a sacrifice that's required from that. He knows that that is meant for him. Sometimes he becomes the isolated one in prison while everybody continues to go about their day and enjoy their freedoms. But he doesn't write and say, listen, I wish nobody would do what I did. Just go figure it out for yourself. He's like, guys, when you find your boast in the cross of Christ and in that alone, and when you know that the Son of God has made the greatest sacrifice for us, it is a joyful thing, not only to see people restored, but it's a joyful thing to live this way of life. And if we're not only agents of extending this restoration, but if part of that restoration comes through sacrifices that we make, it's worth it. Because when you know that you've been embraced again and now held secure, by your heavenly father you know you now have something that nothing in this world can take from you and that's the greatest freedom that you and I can experience so he doesn't long for people to suffer he's not hoping that people will experience the pain that he's experienced but he is saying I want you to know I've, I've experienced some of the worst of it and if you're asking me is Jesus still worth following I'm telling you, yes. I bear the marks in my body and from all of that experience and seeing what everything else the world has to offer, I'd still boast in only the cross and follow only the Savior who died for me. And that's a challenging and sobering but also beautiful message for us to consider. Can we say the same thing? Have you experienced enough of life to see the dead-end roads that are all around us when we pursue any other path apart from the one that God lays down for us by his grace? If you have, then you realize the goodness and the grace, the wisdom that comes in saying, I don't want anything else or anyone else but the God who made me and the God who died for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it reminds us of your heart that rejoices when we come home to you, when we submit to your plans and your purposes, that there are so many experiences in life that make us feel lost and abandoned. We're stuck with no way out. 
And we thank you that you give us hope. That there is in you always a way out. There's always an opportunity to be restored. And we thank you that you invite us as your children to be agents of this message to other people. That we can enter into that joy by entering into that work that as people who we know and love and at times ourselves are caught in transgressions, are feeling now stuck or limited by the mistakes that we have made, that we can trust that you are always more ready to forgive us than oftentimes we are to ask, that you are always ready to empower us and to give us the resources and the tools and the community that we need to become stronger over time to say no to the world, to be crucified to it, and to live as new creation in the power of your spirit. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.